This is Wealth Radio, 10 years now on KLBJ. Here's author, wealth manager, and CEO of Reed Financial, Chris Herline. Good day, everybody. Chris Herline here of Reap Financial, host of Wealth Radio for over a decade now here on News Radio KLBJ. Glad to have you with us on this Saturday morning. We're here with you taking your retirement questions every Saturday, 11 a.m. Join me now. Text your questions, 512-836-0590, 512-836-0590. You can also email me those today, uh, chris at wealthradio.com. We'll be uh, sure to try to get to all of these today. You know, I follow a lot of data and, um, you know, we like to stay on top of things year over year for clients. And one of the most uh, interesting, not necessarily surprising, but most interesting uh, data points that came in at the end of 2023, and this came in from CEG Insights, something I follow very close, in polling over 1,200 investors, inflation came in as the top national concern as we walk into 2024. And not just the top, 64% mentioned that inflation is their top concern. And behind that, 35% said the political environment walking into 2024. So what's interesting is as we've seen the Fed start talking about cutting rates this year here in 2024 and, you know, things kind of easing back a bit. You know, we saw inflation numbers come down from what they were a year and a half ago. But listen, the price of goods, the price of services, price of medical, price of groceries, things like this, we, we haven't seen a big decrease in those, have we? And so constantly we're fielding questions around what to do about inflation, how to hedge against inflation. And at the end of last week's show, um, Rob had prompted me to kick off this week's show with this because Rob V texted me and he said, should I make changes to my financial planning due to inflation in 2024? Well, there's many strategies that we counsel our successful retirees on at Reap Financial. And there's many strategies to reduce your taxes and beat inflation in retirement. And I'm going to tell you right now, reducing taxes is the easiest, it's the fastest way to increase investment returns. It's an easy way to put your retirement plan back on track. It's an easy way to beat inflation. It's an easy way to enhance your retirement security. Why? Because when we can reduce your taxes on your investments and your income, you're keeping more of your wealth that's in turn breaking a sweat for you year over year. But retirees, a lot of you pre-retirees, you often leave a lot of money on the table for the IRS to scoop up because you don't take advantage of many of the strategies out there. And these strategies can save you thousands of dollars a year, if not more. So we start by talking about those of you that have significant balances in your IRAs and 401ks. Now, Congress provides a lot of tax breaks to encourage people to accumulate as much money as they can in these tax-deferred accounts. When you get a tax deduction on your IRAs and 401k contributions, these tax breaks are only a mortgage. Think about it kind of like a loan. 
You're going to pay the mortgage when taking distributions from these accounts down the road. And if that's going to be your plan, the key is to pay those taxes at the lowest rate possible. And that's where a lot of these strategies come in that I'm going to talk about here today. You can join me 512-836-0590. But the first one I want you to consider is just breaking the number one tax rule. The first strategy that most people are taught when they start investing is don't pay a tax until you have to. It's against our financial religion, I know. But in other words, maximize your tax deferral. I truly believe that that was a good strategy when it was developed, but things have changed a lot. The 2017 tax laws, they brought income tax rates down to their lowest level in 40 years. And these tax rates that I talk about all the time, they're going to expire at the end of 2025 unless the majority in Congress and the president agree to extend them. So I don't care which 80-year-old you're planning on voting for here in 2024, but I'll tell you this, the chances of them changing are slimmer than them not changing. We don't know what's going to happen in the election, and there are many reasons taxes are more likely to increase in the coming years than stay the same. The federal debt and annual deficits increased dramatically in the last few years because of COVID and everything else. And as you know, I mean, Social Security and Medicare, they have solvency problems. So... When we think back to the 2020 election, a significant contingent in Congress wanted to increase taxes across the board, especially on retirees. But I'm, I'm just going to put it out there. If you believe taxes are going to be higher in the future than they are today, you may want to consider paying some taxes before they go up. Because today's tax rates are likely to be lower than future rates. And this is especially true if your goal is to leave at least a part of your tax-deferred accounts to your children or loved ones because they're going to owe income tax on all of that. And they may inherit that in their highest earning years. And, you know, again, when are they going to get this money? What will tax rates be? We're thinking about, you know, legacy, keeping dollars in the bloodline over multiple generations here. But in the bridge years, what I call, you know, that early retirement to kind of mid to late 60s, many of you may have not claimed Social Security. And so the bridge years are maybe a time that you're living on your IRAs or 401ks a little bit heavier. But the question is, is what is your withdrawal strategies? So much of your income tax in retirement will depend on your ability to withdraw in the most tax efficient way. And you want to ensure you're withdrawing in a way where you're not bumping yourself up in tax brackets or creating higher Medicare premiums for yourself. So consider the financial religion that most of us have and potentially breaking some of that religion could help you with your future taxes. Now, another one that I cover all the time is reducing your future required minimum distributions. I mean, a lot of our listeners, a lot of our clients that come into us from KLBJ, you have substantial IRAs and 401ks, plus other assets, plus other sources of income. And RMDs, required distributions that kick in these days at 73 and 75, they're a trap. Um, it's a tax bomb for many of you that have large balances. And most people in this situation, 
you got all these these dollars in these accounts and, and a lot of you may not even be planning to distribute them until you're actually forced to at those ages. But the thing that we show successful families all the time, we want to show you is that when RMDs kick in, the percentage of the account that you much must distribute, you know, take out every year, it increases typically based on your age and, you know, based on the account balance in a year. So leaving money in the account when you're younger and letting it grow has, for some of you, set you up for higher tax bills in your 70s and beyond. And if that's the case, well, you'll likely owe more taxes on your Social Security and potentially pay higher Medicare B premiums, Medicare uh, D premiums as well. So multi-year planning, tax planning that I'm talking about here, um, doing this year to year, being strategic with taking steps to reduce your future required minimum distribution can give you the control that you want not just in early retirement, mid, but also throughout all of retirement. A simple strategy is to consider, you know, just consider distributing enough from the tax deferred accounts to bring you to the top of your tax bracket. And if you're going to do that, many of our investors, they consider doing Roth conversions and trying to cap out or max out their current tax bracket or maybe consider jumping to the next. But this is part of of the planning of this is way we are proactive in getting control and getting some of those uh, dollars out of these pre-tax accounts so that you can consider getting your RMD down as well. Another thing I want you to consider is not just investing in your IRAs in, in the 401ks. Consider investing in after-tax accounts or taxable accounts, not just pre-tax. You know, there's, there's little risk that you're going to have to pay higher lifetime taxes on Roth IRAs or brokerage accounts than your IRAs. Because think about it, Roth accounts are never taxed. Brokerage accounts are typically going to be taxed at your preferable, you know, 15 and 20% cat gains rates. And then IRAs will always be taxed at whatever the government, whatever Uncle Sam wants to tax you on in that given year. So strategies are to have tax diversification. You want to have money across a lot of different asset classes, IRAs, 401ks, Roths, health savings accounts, after-tax brokerage, maybe some CDs, maybe some MIGAs, and the list goes on. But what most retirees find is that the bulk of their wealth is in IRAs and 401ks. And it just all goes back to that mentality. A lot of you that are in your 50s, 60s, you know, the IRAs 401ks were touted as the greatest retirement account on the planet. And a lot of these type of uh, retirees today are going, hey, if I just would have known, I didn't realize that I was setting myself up to be taxed on a bigger number. So another thing, and I, I've talked about it already today, but you got to consider what kind of dollars you're going to leave for your beneficiaries. You know, future distributions to your heirs on Roth IRAs will be tax-free. They'll be always taxed in IRAs and 401ks. Now, under today's law, when your kids or your friend or family member inherits a IRA from you or a 401k, chances are they're going to have to take that balance in full within 10 years. You know, they get to choose. In years past, before the laws passed, you know, we had uh, what was called a stretch IRA. It was a wonderful gift from Uncle Sam. He allowed you to take an account that's inherited and, and just stretch it out, take a little bit amount over your lifetime, not so much anymore. 
And so if you're receiving money from mom and dad in years to come, you need to have a plan as to how to distribute that. Because if you let it stay in there and compound, let's say it's grown at 7%, doubles in value over 10 years. Well, then now you're 10, you got to take everything out at once and it'll all be taxable on these traditional accounts. Now, if it's a Roth IRA, Roth 401k, your strategy may be to let it sit in there and not take anything out, let it double in value, and then take it out in year 10. And you had that compounding effect. You let the money break a sweat for you all along the way, right? So there's different strategies depending on what type of account that you're inheriting. So all these things and more, but I got a lot of things I want to cover with you today around this concern. The greatest concern of retirees today as of 2023 is inflation. And there's several ways to reduce taxes and beat inflation retirement. That's what we're covering today. Keep it right here. I'll be right back with you. This is Wealth Radio, 10 years now on KLBJ. Here's author, wealth manager, and CEO of Reed Financial, Chris Herline. All right, welcome back. Chris Herline here of Reap Financial taking your retirement questions right now, 512-836-0590. Rob V had texted me a question. He said, should I make changes to my financial planning due to inflation? And I'm telling you right now, of retirees today, it's the top concern. It's the top concern is inflation and how it'll impact the portfolio. There's a lot of ways to beat inflation in retirement. We are covering some things today that we counsel our successful retirees with at REAP Financial. And, you know, I've already talked today about breaking the number one tax rule, maybe changing your financial religion as to how you think about tax deferral. You know, you want to be considering reducing your future required distributions. There's ways to invest after-tax money into tax-free accounts. There's ways to transfer your IRAs from always taxed to never taxed and Roth accounts. And then that kind of leads me into a fourth strategy, which is repositioning your IRA. Sometimes the way to maximize the after-tax value of a traditional retirement account for you and your kids is to take distributions. You pay the taxes and then you reposition the after-tax money into a new vehicle. It could be a brokerage account that you took your required distributions out of and now you're reinvesting it in a, a brokerage and then your kids will receive a step up in cost basis. That is a strategy to preserve the wealth. Permanent life insurance, that has cash value that can be tapped into throughout retirement if needed. But the main advantage of permanent life insurance is that policy benefits are tax-free to your beneficiaries. Okay, so... You think about families that have substantial required minimum distributions. They have a, a great value, let's say, to leave money to their heirs. A lot of families take a part of their required distribution or all of it, and they put it into permanent life insurance. And what that does is it allows them to increase their estate overnight. And then they can do that monthly or quarterly or annually. They can put those premiums in. And then that ensures, in many cases, a guaranteed death benefit, tax-free for their heirs. And it helps them satisfy many of their legacy goals. So repositioning IRAs can, can work in many ways, not just converting to Roth. I've always, you know, that's an option. But there's some other ones there I wanted to cover on today. You know, another thing is to give through 
qualified charitable distributions. So when you're charitably inclined out there and you're age 70 and a half or older, make at least some or, or maybe all of your charitable distribution through what's called a QCD. So what that is, is basically you're transferring money directly from a traditional IRA to a public charity. And when those dollars come out via a QCD, that distribution isn't going to be included in your gross income for the year. And it counts towards your RMD if you're subject to taking one. So for 2024, they've increased that limit to 105000 a year you can do via QCD. I know that seems like a lot, but that is a, an update because we haven't seen that value uh, or that, that distribution amount go up in uh, really a long time, if ever. So 105000 is the max on that. So again, it's better than a charitable deduction because these dollars are outside your Schedule A. And so again, I'm just going to reiterate, if you are charitably inclined, you give charitably through the years, you're over 70 and a half, the best dollars to be giving are directly from the IRA. So another thing to consider is just making charitable bequests from traditional retirement accounts. So what does that look like? So if you have an estate plan put together and you know that you're going to give you know money to kids and maybe grandkids and uh, maybe some 501c3s, some foundations, whatever it is out there, you want to be strategic at what dollars you're going to leave. Many of you know that if you leave your house to your kids, you left a after-tax brokerage account, a stock account to the kids. In many cases, that's just going to get a step up in cost basis on the day you pass. If they're to liquidate that quickly thereafter, uh, they may pay little to no tax on a lot of growth that you got to see through your retirement years. Now, Roth IRAs obviously would go tax-free to the heirs as well, but we want to be strategic here because if you leave IRAs and 401ks to the kids, that's going to go to them completely taxable and must be distributed with 10 years. But if you leave IRAs, 401ks, pre-tax dollars to charities, it can go to them tax-free. So we want to be tactical as to what dollars you're going to leave to whom because it really dictates how much they're going to receive and how much you're going to keep in the bloodline. So that being said, when is the last time that you've coordinated your investment mix with your wills and trust? That would be something to definitely get your eyes on here in 2024. So another thing that many of our successful families do that have charitable intent is they name what's called a charitable remainder trust as a beneficiary to the IRA. You may be wondering how that works. You know, if you want a charity to benefit from part of your estate and you want to benefit your children or other loved ones, well, you may also be concerned about the spending uh, uh, or money management practices of your children. It seems like there's always one, right? There's one that's really a spendthrift, really good. And there's maybe others that uh, you'd, you'd be concerned would get through the money quicker than you'd, you'd like to see. So maybe you want some limits uh, or discretion over the money they're going to receive. With non-retirement assets, a really good strategy would be to leave the assets in a trust for the children's benefit. So instead of your kids being the beneficiary, maybe it's your living revocable trust. But a trust as an IRA beneficiary creates tax problems. I'm not going to get into those today. 
You can subscribe to my YouTube channel at Reap Financial where I take a deep dive into why you don't typically want to name an IRA beneficiary as a trust. You lose a lot of flexibility and um, there's some there's some taxes and all sorts of issues that can come in around that. And, you know, we have to navigate this with families. A lot of families will come in and maybe they just uh, inherited some money um, or their spouse uh, passed away and they had their beneficiaries designated incorrectly. It can be a real issue and it can be a real gross overpayment of taxes and penalties that didn't need to happen. But getting back, a good alternative is to name a charitable remainder trust as a beneficiary of the IRA. Because when you pass the IRA, uh, that IRA is going to be distributed to the trust, um, which owes no income taxes on that distribution. And then the trust can reinvest that distribution once it receives it. Okay. So the charitable remainder trust can then distribute income to its income beneficiaries, your kids, for either a term or years or over their life. You get to decide. You're in control of this money when you're six feet under. They'll owe taxes on the bulk of the income, but it gives you control. After that period, that term ends that you've put together, the amount remaining in that trust goes to the charities that you named. If your estate is taxable, the estate receives a charitable deduction for the present value of that gift, and that can help offset your estate taxes. Now, here in 2024, you're going to be hearing me discuss estate taxes a lot more. We are currently in the process of bringing in our most affluent families because in two years, the estate tax limit is set to drop Dramatically, that's the exemption limit. Right now, a lot of people, even higher net worth, they don't care about it because they're like, ah, you know, it's 25, 26 million bucks that I could leave to my heirs and anything over that would be taxed at 40%. Well, you know, again, I, I understand that. But when it comes back down, as things sunset in 2026, as it's scheduled to do, it'll drop from the 25, 26, as it is currently for a married couple, down to what will likely be 12 or 13 million based on inflation. We'll have to see. So a lot of you may be saying, well, Chris, I don't have a 12, 13 million dollar estate today. Well, what is, what's, what's that estate going to be worth in 10 years? What's it going to be worth in 15, 30 years? We need to look at that because what the IRS is telling us is that if we make changes, if we are able to reposition assets, set up uh, you know, certain types of trusts, there's a lot of different strategies, but things can be set up to uh, reposition that money today, you can be grandfathered in to these higher exemption limits. In fact, the highest estate tax exemption limits we've ever seen in our lifetime. So the type of things that we are using with our successful clients are Slats, spousal lifetime asset trust, could be family limited partnerships, could be irrevocable life insurance trust, generational skipping trust, charitable remaining trust. I was just talking about that. A lot of you with higher net worth that are worried about privacy and protection, we're using asset protection trust. You could look at family foundations. There's many things we can do to lock in the value of your estate today. So all these things and more I'm going to be talking about here on KX or KLBJ Wealth Radio. And uh, if you uh, tune into KXN News Channel 36 with me every Wednesday during the 6 p.m. news hour, I'll be 
diving into some things there as well. Because the clock is ticking. And yes, we have, you know, about two years till 2026 here. But attorneys right now aren't as busy as they're going to be next year. And so we're being proactive. We can help you with this as well. If you've got an estate that's on a path to be subject to a 40% estate tax down the road, you need to consult with my team of fiduciary advisors at Reap Financial. Email me, chris at wealthradio.com. I got a great report I can send you on many of the top strategies that successful families like you are using. That's chris at wealthradio.com. And for those of you that are tuning in today, you're, you're talking about inflation and, and all these kind of concerns, uh, I want you to get your hands on a copy of my 10 Retirement Tips Guide. I want you to go to reapfinancial.com. That's R-E-A-P financial.com. And you can download it directly right on my homepage there. And uh, it's of no cost for our Wealth Radio listeners here. I've got a lot more to cover with you. It's the middle of the hour. We're going to take a quick news break. I'm Chris Herline. I'll be right back with you. This is Wealth Radio, 10 years now on KLBJ. Here's author, wealth manager, and CEO of REIT Financial, Chris Herline. Welcome back. Chris Herline here. I'm uh, just getting started with these strategies today. You know, if you're tuned in with me in our earlier segments, you know, we had a, a text question come in from Rob V, and it's kind of driving the whole show today. He had asked, should I make changes to my financial planning due to inflation? And I'm going to tell you something. There, there's, there's ways you can invest to counter inflation. Um, there's, there's things that you can be doing right now to protect your spending, kind of lock in costs. But I'm going to tell you one of the easiest ways to hedge against inflation, protect your retirement against inflation, is to use the tax code. You can use the tax code, legal strategies to overcome inflation. And most people don't realize how great their investment tax burden is a lot of times until there's not much you can do about it. Classic example is somebody that's over 75 and they're just getting the idea that they could have been converting dollars to Roth over the years and get a lot more of that money tax-free and keep their brackets down and everything else. But let me tell you something. After-tax returns, not pre-tax returns, are what matter most in retirement. You want to focus on your investment taxes all year round. And it's interesting, like when you retire, you know, the paycheck stops, you're not getting that W-2. Taxes oftentimes can get more complicated because now it's up to you as to what accounts you're going to draw from. They're all taxed differently, typically. Um, you know, you're, you're potentially doing Roth conversions. You've got required distributions. You've got IRMA surcharges you got to stay under. I mean, the list goes on. But the first and foremost approach is to review your investments and the taxes on those investments year by year. Now, a lot of you in retirement, you're selling investments and you're doing that to raise cash for your retirement income through the years. And the sell of an investment from a taxable account, that's going to generate either a capital gain or a capital loss. And these gains can be taxed differently, short-term gains or long-term gains. When an asset is held for one year or less, it's going to be taxed at short term, which is taxed at your income. The gain or loss is long term, 
when you hold the asset for more than 12 months. Now there's one other thing. There's ordinary and qualified dividends that oftentimes are being generated within your taxable investment account. Okay? And ordinary and qualified dividends are being generated throughout the year. A lot of you are reinvesting them and then they show up on your 1040 come tax time. And many cases you're paying tax on money that you're not even using or didn't even know was being generated. Reinvesting dividends is a, you know, it's a tactical investment approach. But another thing to consider is that ordinary dividends are taxed at ordinary income rates. Qualified dividends are preferred at the 15 or 20% cap gains rates. So we like those. But see, oftentimes, if you're holding mutual funds, or if you have a, a very active manager of your portfolio, they're buying and selling throughout the year. And even within a mutual fund, if the fund didn't sell, there's still activity going on within the fund. And that passes through to investors. And so we'll see families come in all the time, consult with our advisors that have maybe $35,000, $55,000 of qualified and ordinary dividends while they're working. They didn't even need the income. It's just being generated and showing up on the bottom line. So you can generate dividends. And if you are, you want to be tactical in trying to get them to show up on the qualified line. Particularly if you're working in your highest earning years in your 50s right now, maybe your 60s pre-retirement. Now, capital gains, these capital losses that I'm talking about, they're reported on Schedule D of Form 1040. And on the top half of Schedule D, the short-term transactions are listed and result in either net short-term gains or losses. On the bottom half of Schedule D, that's where the long-term transactions are listed. And you list those as long-term net gains or losses. So suppose after the netting process, a net short-term capital loss of $5,000 occurs and a net term or net long-term, let's say, gain of $7,000 is produced. The result of that is a net long-term capital gain of $2,000. So net short-term gains are taxed as ordinary income, as I mentioned, and that's at your, you know, your marginal tax rate. Net long-term capital gains, as I mentioned, they, they got that tax advantage because the top tax rate right now on capital gains is only 20%. It's, uh, I'll be clear, it's 23.8% if your income's high enough to trigger the 3.8% net, inve uh, net investment income tax. So only people with high incomes really have to be concerned about paying the 20% rate. For, for many of you, the long-term capital gains rate is, is even lower, 15, even down to 0%. So when you have this net capital loss, losses that exceed the gain, up to $3,000 can be deducted against other income year over year. You can carry it forward. So make sure you're staying on top of that stuff. Another strategy is to let the gains run. What I mean by this is, you know, a strategy to make the most out of the gains in tax advantage and long-term capital gain benefited accounts. And since short-term capital gains are taxed as ordinary income, like I'm talking about, at your highest tax rates, you need a good reason to sell before more. Because listen to me, when, when, you, sell, when you sell within a 12-month period, I just got to reiterate this, you are being taxed at ordinary income tax rates. 
For those of you working, that's not ideal. So letting the ta letting the gains run up as I'm talking about does a couple things. One, there's more money being reinvested in that account that's cooking and compounding with you over the years. Plus, you get past the 12 month anniversary of holding that and now we're taxed favorably. Now, the other thing to know is that capital gains can be offset by other tax strategies. Your income can be set up or offset by uh, you know, deductions from your 401ks or uh, charitable deductions as well. So make sure that you're utilizing strategies alongside these gains. And you know, a lot of times you, you get to the end of the year and you just package up your paperwork from your uh, custodians, your banks, and you just throw it to the CPA and they report history a lot of times they're not going to be proactive. It's up to you in many cases to do this. This is one of the reasons why the majority of our clients utilize our vetted CPAs at Refinancial. We manage and handle their tax work through our vetted professionals because they want to know that every aspect of their financial world is being optimized and this can be done as long as you got somebody quarterbacking it. And a lot of retirees, they don't want to quarterback it. That's why they hire us at Refinancial to literally act as their family CEO and manage this aspect of their life. Now, it's so important too, to know your tax bracket. It'd be, you'd be shocked how many people are working right now and you really don't know what your tax bracket is. You, you may know what you make, you may know what your paycheck is, but you don't know what your tax bracket is. And the reason it's, it's important to know that is because Tax brackets, in many cases, they jump substantially. In some cases, very minimally. Under today's tax law, it's you know, 12 to 22%. So you go from a 10 to a 12, very minimal. And then once you pass the 12, you're jumping to 22%. Then from there, you got a lot of headroom between the 22 and 24%. But then you got a huge jump from 24 to 32 and this is even more critically important in retirement because you are in control. Like I've said over the years, you got more control in retirement of your income than any time of your life. But you got to know what you're doing. You don't want to take too much out of one account when you had the option to take it out of another and you could have stayed in a lower bracket or you could have paid less tax on your Social Security. Maybe you could have stayed in the lower Medicare IRMA you know, surcharge or not been surcharged at all. Knowing your capital gains tax bracket is very important as well because there's a lot of favorability with these cap gains rates. When you're a married couple out there and you have a joint income of around, let's say 90,000, well, the long-term capital gain rate will apply to you and you can make up to well over 490,000 and still be in that 15% cap gain. Now, if your income is zero on the year, let's say you retired and you lived on bank cash, you didn't have any other ordinary qualified dividends, any other income, let's just keep it really clean and simple for this illustration. If you're married with no income, that means you could exercise stock in your taxable brokerage account, mutual funds, ETFs, 
up to around $89,000 and pay zero capital gains tax. So there's some real strategy to getting control of your taxes in retirement. If you are in a 0%, 10% tax bracket for the first few years of retirement and you're taking Social Security, you may pay little to no tax on your Social Security. If you're in a 0 to 10%, you could be harvesting a lot of gains, tens of thousands of dollars of gains every year, paying little to no tax. If you're in a 0% tax bracket, you could be converting a lot of money to Roth IRAs at a 10 or 12% tax rate. So this really does play into both pre-retirees and retirees, but you can see why as a retiree, you've got a lot more control. You've got a lot more flexibility. Question is, is do you know how to implement it? Do you know how to utilize it and really optimize it? That's where it's at. Now, I talk a lot about these things and more on our YouTube channel. I want you to subscribe at Reap Financial. And, you know, the, the other thing is there's a lot of concern around inflation, even still here in 2024. And I want you to get your hands on a copy of my updated reflation, inflation report for 24. We'll send it to you at no cost directly to your inbox. Uh, Chris at WealthRadio.com. That's Chris at WealthRadio.com. And my team will get it on its way to your inbox. And we're going to take a deep dive into this report as to how to use the tax code to overcome inflation. And many of the strategies our most successful families use at Reap Financial. Get your hands on it. Email me right now, Chris at WealthRadio.com. I want to encourage you, uh, I'm going to take a couple que uh, text questions on the other side of this break. Text me now, 512-836-0590. I'll be right back with you. This is Wealth Radio, 10 years now on KLBJ. Here's author, wealth manager, and CEO of Reap Financial, Chris Herline. Welcome back. Chris Herline here of Reap Financial, host of Wealth Radio every Saturday morning here at 11. Thanks for making this part of your weekend here. Hard to believe we're already in our last segment here. But uh, as I promised, I wanted to get to some text questions here. We just had one come in uh, from Samantha H. Hey, Samantha, can you explain the 4% rule for retirement withdrawals? You know, the story of retirement has changed, Samantha. Um, the 4% the rule is it's a it's a go-to rule. It's something that retirees have considered and studied for many years. Uh, in fact, the 4% rule was created 29, almost 30 years ago. Question is, has things changed since then? I, th I think a lot of you would, would agree that they have. And so the way a 4% rule works Let's say you have, uh, call it two and a half million bucks in your portfolio. The first year of retirement, you can withdraw 4% of your total balance, and that's $100,000. So that kind of sets your baseline. And then each year thereafter, the withdrawal amount increases with inflation. If you're, if you're prudently planning, you're going to put inflation. So if inflation is, let's say, 2% in year two, you would withdraw 102000 Okay, so that's kind of the, the gist of it. And in theory, this formula means that under a worst case investment scenario, your savings should still last 30 years. But as I said, things have changed. Right now in 2024, we have the highest inflation that we've seen in 40 years, which 
Again, inflation wasn't near this high when the 4% rule came out. So that's a significant change. People are living longer today. Um, yeah. So do you need your nest egg to last more than 30 years? Potentially so if we're planning on living. So longevity plays a big part of that. But I'm also going to tell you that the withdrawal rule is so subjective because every person listening right now that tunes in with me every week here, I'm going to tell you something. Your values of saving and spending, your budget, your outflow to maintain your standard of living in retirement is night and day than your next door neighbor, than your brother or co-worker, to any KLBJ listener. And that's great. And that's why you have to have a plan that's designed specifically to you and your values. And so last week I was talking about how the most important number in your retirement plan is not the rate of return. It's not the inflation rate. It's not the strategy you, you know, land on social security. It's not that number. It's the budget. It's how much you need to maintain. And so with our successful clients at Reap Financial, when we are forecasting what your savings and spending looks like, what we see oftentimes is if we can keep your withdrawal rate under 1% of your portfolio value, you're set up for total success in retirement. Because that means that if you're withdrawing X amount of dollars and you're not even hitting 1% of the portfolio, that's a decade walking into retirement, a decade that that money can cook and compound and break a sweat for you. And then as inflation moves up at 4%, or whatever we're going to factor in there, you got a lot more money 10 years out when your budget's exponentially higher than it was when you walked into retirement to retire successfully. Once you start crossing 1%, oftentimes you'll see the portfolio start trending down. Now, that obviously is going to be based on the budget you put in there, the rate of return you're assuming. But at Reef Financial, we're typically going to assume a 6 to 6.5% return, which is a lot easier in today's environment with bank CDs, money markets in the 4 to 6% range. And then inflation, you likely should consider using a maybe a 100-year average. Somewhere this year we're averaging somewhere between 3 and a quarter, 3 and a half percent. Now, is inflation higher than that the last year? Yes. But again, we can't just put 8% in there like we saw in the last couple of years and think that that's going to be the case because historically that's never happened. So the prudent approach is using a 100-year average and then adjusting year over year. And that you'll see that go up and down. So the 4% rule, I don't think it's dead. Many advisors may say that it is, but I think it's outdated. And I think it needs to be vetted. I think it needs to be gut checked. It's not just one of those things that you go and retire and say, okay, well, that's what I've read for the last 28, 29 years. We can't do that. So I appreciate that text question. You know, I got another one from John here. He said, uh, should I be considering I-bonds? You know, I-bonds in the last year and a half were paying over 9%. A lot of families were going crazy thinking, hey, why don't we put everything in I-bonds? The problem with these I-bonds, most cases you can only put a limited amount in them. Uh, very little. You know, back, back when people were locking in those 9% plus rates, you could only do up to $10,000 per person. 
There were some cases where you could throw an extra 5000 at it. But, you know, when you think about your retirement nest egg, that's very minimal. So not that it couldn't be a piece of your portfolio, John, uh, just not something that's probably going to be a core position. So here we are, close of the hour. I'm Chris Herline of Reap Financial. I want you to subscribe to my YouTube channel at Reap Financial. I drop some of the latest content around all things retirement every Wednesday. I want to encourage you to tune in with me each week on KXAN, that's News Channel 36, to stay on top of the latest there during the 6 p.m. news hour. And then as always, for all of our loyal listeners, we thank you for your listenership for over a decade here on News Radio KLBJ. I'm Chris Herline. We'll catch you next week, 11 a.m.